You're listening to the Marketing for Learning podcast, the only podcast in the world designed to help you increase your capabilities when it comes to marketing in the learning function. We're here to help you make your learners do things they don't want to do. You're welcome. Hey everybody, welcome to the Marketing for Learning podcast. I am so excited to be joined by two wonderful women today, the co-owners of Niles Nolan. I am joined by Amanda Nolan and Laurie Niles Hoffman. Hi ladies. Hello, hello. Hey Ashley. How are you guys doing today? Not too badly. I got Wordle in three, so I'm super happy. Two, thank you. (laughs) I have missed this Wordle boat completely. I'm quite happy about it, I'm afraid. (laughs) So, I mean, obviously, you know, I guess people probably know who you are, but for those that don't, is do one of you guys maybe want to introduce a little bit about Niles Nolan, what you guys do, and, you know, and then I'll get into, you know, why you're here chatting today. I'm going to throw Sorry, that go over for to it With your usual, oh. no, no, I'm fighting you. <laughs> with your usual dose of snark, come on. All right, what do, what do we do? Well, um, basically, we, we, we help companies, uh, enterprise companies, with um, their ed tech strategy, and mostly around their transformation. So we'd like to say, I mean, Amanda says we're kind of like Mary Poppins, but with a chainsaw uh, going into companies <laughs> and, and uh, with a dose of sugar, trying to help them uh, really maximize their investment in ed tech and also to to right skill their employee base. Um, so helping them be a lot more strategic about, about their, their L&D investments. Gotcha. Okay. Mary Poppins with a chainsaw. That's a key takeaway. I don't know why that's not on your website. You should talk to your marketing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, that transformation piece is super interesting to me. And, you know, the reason I wanted to get both of you guys on here today to chat was because, you know, you have a much broader bird's eye view of the industry as a whole. I think you, you know, from our conversations that we've had, you have your finger on the pulse, pardon the overuse of uh, that term. You know, you, you can see what trends have happened, but also what's coming. Um, and I'd be really interested to understand, even in, you know, the, the tenure of your careers, what's been changing so significantly? And, you know, where do you kind of see us going in the next three years or so? Mm-hmm. Amanda. Well, we don't have a crystal ball, Ashley, so sorry to let you down there. But, you know, it is true that I think because my background is more from vendor space where Lori comes from more the, you know, the L&D side of things. And so we do span kind of both sides of of the spectrum. And we do work with companies day in, day out that are grappling with some of these challenges. So we do see patterns. And certainly one thing, people have been talking about data for a really long time. And someone once said, and this is another, you know, horrible joke or metaphor, it's kind of like teenage sex, everyone's talking about it, no no one is doing it. And that was kind of (laughs) what we saw, where it was data, 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 but but what, right? And so now we've we've reached a point, um, and Lori, keep me honest here, where I think companies are definitely doing something with data and they're kind of collecting a lot of data, but it's a lot about, you know, reporting, 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 and not really the metrics that matter so much. So it's about things like maybe completions, you know, hours of learning or active users, if we even get that. But the question is, you know, what questions are we really asking to get the right, the right metrics that matter? And then what do we actually do with that data to make a change? So that's, I think, for me, that the biggest trend that I'm seeing, and there's there's some others as well, of course. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that definitely, Amanda. And I think um, it's also too. It comes down to a lot of the technology. It didn't allow for us to track the data that we we wanted to. So we had to invent a lot of things. You know, put Hotjar onto our our LXPs. You know, get more get more data or or Google Analytics. You you almost have to do a little bit of um, you know. Uh, 
sort of jerry your own your own possibilities there and i think that that's you know very challenging for for the typical lnd professional if they don't have that background the other thing that i think i've seen over my career is, you know, when I started, I was the proverbial instructional designer, and that was, you know, 25 years ago. And, you know, it was all about writing your courses and then putting them into a, you know, a, a rapid authoring tool and uploading them and all that sort of stuff. And the shift now, and I don't think L&D themselves are prepared for it, and it's very akin to what marketing professionals went through about 12, mm-hmm. 13 years ago, is... And I don't like the term learning in the flow of work because I think that limits it. It's about understanding how people work and how learning is inserted into that. So the whole concept of learning experience design. And and that's very akin to you need to you really need to know how people are, are using technology, where they're interacting and where it makes sense. It's very similar to, you know, how marketing was using cookies and, and how that data works and, and how they were able to then see patterns and flows and then make meaningful, hopefully, uh, recommendations of... Um, and surface content at at the point of need or to see where there might be deficiencies in content. That shift is happening. We're already seeing with Microsoft Viva. We're seeing it with, um, you know, uh, even Glint is being added into that suite. And we're going to start seeing all that come together. However, I think L&D is unprepared themselves skill-wise for what that potential is actually going to mean. And they actually think the AI is going to do a lot of the magic behind it. Mm. And that's not that's not true, you know. Yeah, and, and I think close you know, the loop on that. Well, just to you know, it's it is about the data, right? If we don't use the data to to see what insights it's giving us, then then we're kind of shooting in the dark, right? And so it really is all about that. Yeah, and the quality of the data too. You know, mm-hmm. I loved what you said, Amanda, about asking the right questions to get the right answers. You know, that's such an important uh, piece of the pie. You know, for example, when when I've done market research and stuff when I've worked in house in the past, like you got to ask the right questions because otherwise you're not going to get any answers that are of any use to you or you're going to get a boatload of data that doesn't give you any opportunities to even hypothesize about what you should or shouldn't be doing, you know. What's your opinion on the semantics of being data-led versus data-informed? Okay, so when I was first writing and, and thinking about data in, in L&D, I did consider data-informed learning design. And then I realized that data-informed learning design organizations is probably the worst acronym, and I did not want to be known as that lady. Um, so <laughs> Can you spell that out for us, Lori, for our, our listeners? D-I-L-D-O. So. <laughs> <laughs> so... I think what it comes down to is data doesn't isn't isn't fact, okay? And maybe people misinform misinterpret that. Data is giving you signposts to things that you want to validate. So you, and you want you really have to think about things like causations versus correlation. You need to also think about, you know, data, what is it what is it trying to tell you and where do you need to dig further? And it's not just about the numbers. Sometimes it's qualitative data. It's a whole bunch of things together. And when people say, well, that gets really hard and muddy and I don't want to get into that, it's like, well, then you're just using intuition. At least data gives Mm. us something to start with. Um, But it is, again, all about the validation. Um, So if anyone wants to be data informed, you know what, who am I to judge? But um, that that wasn't the term I went with. (laughs) It's it's funny, um, you know, correlation, causation, all this gets like very scary, I think, for a lot of L&D leaders who are trying to start working with data. And our advice typically is, honestly, just don't overcomplicate it. It's better to do something than nothing. The, The main question is make sure you're asking the right questions to begin with. So is it are you actually doing learning for something that's going to make a difference and not just learning learning in a bubble? And then, 
are you measuring your baseline? So, you know, are you going to then be able to show any that you've made any impact whatsoever? And it's funny, correlation and causation, we can get our, you know, we get get all upset about that or, or worried. But I read this uh, quote on Twitter. I'm not a big Twitter fan, but I thought it was pretty hysterical. Everyone who confuses correlation with causation eventually ends up dead. So, <laughs> so I guess that's, you know, word for the wise. But when it comes to LED, come on. I mean, let's really be honest. What is our what is our starting point? You know, let's let's just do better. Let's start using data, mm-hmm. not boil the ocean. You know, start with a small use case, ask the right questions, make sure it's aligned to your business strategy, and go from there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know data is such a core component of marketing as well, and and you know it's something that I've said many times in the podcast, and Han and I actually have a recording to do on this exact subject, but in a marketing context because. You know, it, it, similar sort of ideas like, you know, we don't need to do all of the things, but we can do some things. And, mm-hmm. you know, even simply A-B testing, you know, exactly. something I've said a lot to people, like if you A-B test an email and, you know, you, you do, okay, I, I, I build a persona and I want to start test, stress testing my persona to see if it's if it's working. Um, so I'm going to, I think they're impatient, whatever. I'm going to build a, an email to subject line to test that. If, if, it, if it finds that, yeah, okay, you know, they've gone for the one that creates a sense of urgency, they are impatient like that's a jump right one email one time doesn't prove that like you said it doesn't necessarily validate so you know we need to we need to get more and more data to help us iterate but I also think we need to be comfortable knowing that we don't know everything so even some sometimes you get more data and you know even less you know and, and I think that that's an an okay yeah. place to be um Obviously, in terms of the sorts of data that we're using now, and, and you know, you guys have touched on technology being, uh, you know, kind of fundamental to what you do, and it being a huge limitation for us, you know, I think there's a reason we've fixated on completions, is because that was one of the only data points we could get for a very long time, mm-hmm. and maybe the only one that mattered at the time. What sort of, you know, we're talking about asking the right questions, what, what sort of questions should an L&D practitioner start to be asking if they're starting to think about using data and, and improving their skills in that area? I think some of the questions there, it's, it's an excellent, excellent question mm-hmm. to, to ask because we, we get this a lot. You know, where, where do I begin? Um, first place we always say is begin with what's available. Okay, there's no magic list. <clears throat> Pardon me. Any company w- it will have their own data sources that are readily available. So sometimes you're just going to be limited by that. Don't bother chasing for stuff that's going to be difficult. The second thing that I would always say, too, is... When working with data, um, and I really want to make sure that I stress this, make sure that you are being ethical about it and that you are adhering to the privacy laws of where you operate and that of your Mm -hmm. company and who has access to the data, who has visibility to that. I can't stress that enough because I've seen you know, data being shared with me. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's not anonymized. There's a a lot of information there that that we shouldn't be using. And I really do believe that we're heading towards a GDPR for L&D and for, for human metrics um, that companies are Mm. collecting. I realize that unfortunately doesn't answer your uh, initial question, Ashley, but I really wanted to get that out because I think it, it is a bit of a chaotic world when it comes to that. One of the places, though, I would be looking for data is beyond your your learning platform. We know we know those things, and, th- and those tend to be very rear view facing, and they they tend to be you know uh, retroactive. I want to be looking at things that are a little bit more proactive. Where are people working? If you're, for example, uh, an M three sixty five shop, there's a ton of data that you can get out of that. Some of it's again data privacy because some of it skirts on that, but there's a lot of information that you you can get there that tells you things about the digital body language 
language of your employees. And that can really help you make informed decisions when it comes to to learning. It's just simple basics about understanding when people are most active, um, what teams are communicating with each other, how what are the problems that they're trying to solve for, what are keywords and hashtags that seem to come up. Those are things that I would just be starting with to get a general feel. And then really be looking at performance metrics, because that's ultimately where L&D can do, it can have the most impact. Where are teams, you know, not succeeding? Where are they being challenged? Can you then insert yourselves in a proactive way and a helpful way um, that, that's going to have to, that's going to help solve some of those problems? And I think the other place that I would go to too, is we're seeing a huge war on talent, is look at some of your talent metrics. If you have a talent marketplace or a talent management system, that's, that's fantastic. Not everybody does have that luxury. So at the very least, speak to talent and understand what roles and skills are they struggling to fill on the market that you don't have within your own company and how do you 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 make that um how do you come up with a with a right skilling plan hmm yeah i think um is there anything you wanted to add amanda it looked like you had something you wanted to say yeah i mean lots of good thoughts in there and i subscribe to all of them of course i think what it's really about it's again you know it's usually it's not a charity, right? We're doing, this is workplace learning. And so we have to align what we're doing in L&D with business goals and business outcomes. And so I think there it's really to hook whatever initiative that you're doing to a a business goal that matters and try to then, you know, work backward, reverse engineer it from there and figure out, all right, so where are we now and where do we want to go? So one thing might be talent attraction and retention is a big deal for a lot of companies. So how can we then try to say, well, this, you know, uh, this initiative we have to upskill and reskill people is actually making a difference when it comes to retracting and and, uh, retaining talent. Again, is it going to be perfect causation? Probably, no, I'm going to die because it'll be more like correlation. But from where I'm standing, that's a hell of a lot better than what I see happening in, in most organizations today. Yeah, definitely. And I, and you know, I think it's a, it's it's a, a really valid point around the data lorry in particular like, you know, we we can't just go and get any it, I think if we get our hands on some we're like absolutely delighted like finally like HR's given me some data that I can use. But, you know, make sure that it's acceptable and and uh, legal to use the data in the way that you intend to. Do you see so in my experience, obviously, I'm looking more at the behavior metrics that you've mentioned and you've touched on in terms of, you know, where people are, what they're doing, the sorts of content they're consuming. And I don't mean learning content. I maybe mean what what channels they are on the channels you have available. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see people benchmarking? Because this this is a void I see. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I encourage it with my clients. Getting them to do it is a different story. It drives me, it drives me crazy because we don't have a point of reference. We don't have a line in the sand. Very good point. And one of the biggest reasons we don't have benchmarking, in my humble opinion, is because the numbers aren't that high. And I don't think L&D really wants to, especially EdTech, does not really want to admit to that. Um, mm. When you really look at what is considered good usage of some content or platforms and whatnot, um, it is it is quite low. And, and I think that, that that scares people. But low doesn't necessarily mean bad if you are achieving the outcomes. You know, any LXP who's telling me that they're like achieving 80%, you know, uh, engagement and, and, you know, increase, you know, and their mouths uh, and dows and wows are, you know, off the charts and all that, they're, they're, they're lying or they're not really 
tracking. I mean, just because somebody logs in doesn't necessarily mean that they've done anything meaningful. Um, so, well, and there's no context to the data correct. either, right? So it could be like one to two. That's a hundred percent increase. Exactly. You know? exactly. <laughs> and exactly. how much of that was compliance and mandatory? And uh, I mean, honestly, these numbers are kind of ridiculous. And it's interesting because this um, dovetails with what you do, Ashley, which is really important: is how do you drive engagement? So getting people to be excited and motivated, and you know, to get them where you want to go is part of the battle. But then there's another part, which is that has to be connected with, again, I'll, I'll say it again, you know, with these outcomes um, yeah. that actually have an impact on behavior and performance. And so it's really, it's a, it's a mix of those two things. And what Lori said is absolutely true. What we see is the bar is really low and there aren't too many people that have a vested interest in, in, in exposing that. Because if you look at it, like the vendors don't want to because that's their that's their business, right? They, sure. they want everyone to believe that uh, logins are the holy grail. And at the same time, you've got learning leaders that maybe have hitched their whole career to some promise that they've invested in this, you know, massive content library or platform or whatever. And so, yay, you know, we have these hours of learning and we have these logins. Is that really what we want? Lori and I don't think so. No, we don't ever think that at all. So I'm with I'm with you guys. Because it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, that to me, I, I remember I had a big rant a long time ago about, about learning hours, because again, it's the same sort of thing, like it, it doesn't really signify a huge amount about performance impact. No. And, you know, I, I think what I wanted to say earlier was, I, I think using the business outcomes is a really good starting point for L&D in terms of why are we doing this and asking those really big questions, you know, what are we trying to actually achieve here? What's, you know, are we reskilling? Are we upskilling? You know, doing all that important talent mapping, things like that. The, the, the concern I have is that we then use that same business objective to try and persuade or convince our learners to learn. And that is where we lose them because they don't care what the business wants. The business cares about well, what the business wants. I'm going to, to disagree with oh, you yeah? there. Go on, please I, do. I honestly, maybe, maybe I'm an idealist or I, let, I think I like to say a pessimistic idealist if that's possible or pessimistic none of that's uh, no, possible it's not possible it's not possible you know what I mean <laughs> what, what I mean you? is I, do I don't I'll do me I'll do me I don't <laughs> think those two things are mutually mutually exclusive because I do believe that people you know at the end of the day they want a job they want to be employable they want to get a promotion they want to be relevant in the workforce and so if you do to com- communicate to them these are the business goals this is going to make you be more relevant, be more employable, have a better chance, you know, in your career, then chances are they're going to find motivation in it. What we can't do is just throw up stuff at people and expect them to just magically understand why that's important. And so I think that's one of the ways that, you know, marketeers like you can help is really, you know, making sure that message gets across to the people. I, yeah. I'm going to disagree I mean, a, little, a little bit on that. A little bit on that. Oh, we're going to fight, Lori. We are. Rare. We are. Right. <laughs> so, fight. Wait, who's getting the chainsaw out? <laughs> I think maybe that was true three years ago, but it's shifting. Because I think also, too, there is far more power in the employees' hands. And I think it's, I'll give it's, you that. Less, about, it's less about... Um, it is, it is about getting ahead, but it, it's, it's, it's also, too, about uh, finding purpose. And I'm seeing a lot more of that. Not that it didn't exist before, but there's a lot more autonomy in the individual to, to be able to exert their, um, their need for purpose. And so I think some of that, some of that, that changes. Um, 
And I, I think there's also too a little uh, cynicism growing in terms of how much do I as an employee help the business grow and make somebody else you know wealthy on the back yeah. of my of my hard work. Mm-hmm. That's definitely shifting. Um, so I think there that's something that we haven't translated well in L and D. I think um, it's been really about what you need to know to do your job, and I, and I think we're, mm-hmm. we're missing some of those those things it's not saying that we throw everybody on leadership training because that's that's definitely not the solution but it's it's also understanding that um skills are shifting the half-life of skills is is declining it's a lot shorter people do need to be able to acquire new skills at at scale and at pace um but we also have to help them find the ones that at least they have some interest in Mm -hmm. it's not like those horrible Mm -hmm. british adverts that you know this ballerina doesn't know it yet but she's going to be a coder (laughs) that's not you know that's just awful um i made those no (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah i think i think some of that some of that shifting and i think that's going to be very problematic I, I, I'm going to agree with you, so I'm glad this isn't a marital spat. However, I think it does depend a lot on the job market where you are and how exactly. competitive it is, right? And so, yeah. you know, I sit in Europe, and maybe it's a bit of a different story over here, where it's not so much in the the seller of talent's hands, but it's in the buyer's hands. Yeah. So it does make a difference. But for sure, we're seeing a shift, and, and that's something to take into account. And I, I actually agree with both of you because all I'm hearing is what's in it for me, right? You know, mm-hmm. even Amanda, you, you, at the very beginning there, you said business goals, you know, growth, whatever, more profit, whatever. But, but you then translated it into this is going to help you with your career. This is going to help you acquire new skills that you can take outside of this 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 organization somewhere else. And Laura, you touched on the exact same mm. points. You know, all we when I'm saying that, that's what I mean is we can't just take what the CEO and the C-suite and the board are saying, like, these are our objectives for the year. This is what we're trying to do. That's cascading downwards. Right. If we want to influence and build trust with our audiences, we cannot talk to them in a generic way that is oriented around the business goals. We have to spin it. We have to do our marketing, put our marketing hats on and think about these people like, you know, what what's going to make them connect with learning? You know, what what's in it for them? And, and you know, like Laurie touched on, there's, there's a lot of different shifting and moving parts and, and demands from different people. And, you know, you could go on about Gen, Gen Z and how they're looking for all of this stuff versus, you know, Gen Y or whatever. I'm not really don't get us started on the generations, those. Ashley. I'm not interested in those either. And same with demographics, because I don't. Don't think in and of themselves they tell us much. I'd rather yeah. be much more interested in behavior. But according to Google Analytics, I'm like according to Google Analytics, I'm like a 21 year old male, which I find really funny. When I last <laughs> time I checked it, and that was that, that was because I was obsessed with Pokemon, and I was just like, really, like this is this is crazy. But anyway, yeah, it, it, it's it's. I completely agree with everything you're saying there. I was just going to say, I think the sweet spot is where those two those two things come together. And that's where I am a bit of an optimist. Maybe it's like the Venn diagram. It's what's in it for me as an individual and what's in it for us as an organization. And there are overlaps, you know. And so what yeah. is that sweet spot? And, you know, it, purpose maybe lives there, too. I think it, it can it, it should be a mutually beneficial relationship, right? It shouldn't just be all for the learner, um, all for the business. But I well, think there's got to be an understanding that... People are inherently selfish. I'm I'm not an, a pessimistic optimist. I'm a little bit more <laughs> um, <laughs> bitter. No, I'm only kidding. But I, you know, I, I do think you know. I think a lot of people are 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 quite you know motivated by their own desires, wants, and needs. At least in the primary, there may be other spheres that you know make Absolutely. them want to 
be more philanthropic or whatever, but primarily they need to, you know, we're going to go old school and talk about Hamas's hierarchy of needs, whatever. They're going to meet their own needs first before they look at other people's. Put your own mask on before someone else's, right? So obviously we've talked a lot about data and technology and, and the convergence of, of those two things in terms of how we're starting to meet a growing skills gap, um, a war on talent, you know, a, a real transformational change, not only in the L&D function, but in organizations as a whole. But we are here talking about marketing for learning. So in, from your perspective, and I'd love to hear from both of you, what's the main and major challenge that you're seeing now and do you see that continuing to be the case for the next one to two years let me try to tackle that one and then maybe laura you can talk about what the technology could potentially do to help it so i'm not saying this is the only challenge and maybe not necessarily the biggest one but it's an important one and it really is that as we've shifted toward to digital and learning people are just drowning in content and mm -hmm. it's content, you know, it's consumption for the sake of consumption. It's this horrible Netflix of learning metaphor where there is no op opportunity to put things into practice, to get feedback, to like really truly develop skills, let alone mastery. So it, the, also the right content is not getting to the right people. There's these smorgasbords of, of, of content libraries. And so engagement is really a, an issue. And we talked before about engagement for the sake of engagement isn't good either, but just people are going into these things and saying, I don't even know where to start, right? And this is one leitmotif that we're hearing, I think, day in, day out from organizations and from, from users within them. So how can the technology potentially help that? Uh, Laura, do you want to give that one a stab? Yeah, no, I would completely, completely agree with that. I mean, we're also seeing great technology come out that does not operate on SCORM because they're smart. <laughs> And, Yay! Um, yeah, That's nice. Which is great. But kill scorm, kill scorm. Yeah, I would agree with that one. I um, wanted, I wanted to do a song. I still want to do it. I was saying to Hannah, have you, you know the song um, "Thaw the Builder"? Can we fix yeah. it? I was going to do one around scorm and, and I, content, but no, I, would I thought love this to has nothing that. to do with my career. But I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> I, I think it's an anthem that we that we need a lot more of um, because it, it's really it's preventing the um, the way that well it's, it's preventing the way that data can be used but also too it's meaning that we're getting siloed systems um, that that need to operate outside of a SCORM construct and yet then companies are hesitant to use them because they do not connect into their LMS which they need to use for compliance reasons so there's that's a whole that's that's one big conundrum I think the other thing too is we focus a lot on content but we're not focused focusing on experience. Um, you know, exactly. I always say, I don't want a brain surgeon who's watched a bunch of YouTube videos. I would rather somebody who's maybe never set foot in a, in a classroom, but yet has been in the operating theater, um, you know, with a surgeon for, for three years. I mean, that that's that's really where we're falling down. We're getting so caught up in that idea of, of um, learning content and engagement. And uh, we're really missing those those things that, that I, I think one of the lessons that we can take from marketing, um, because they, they've done it quite well is sort of that mapping that entire journey and continuum along when they are touched by um, by marketing or in this case learning and what that interaction is and what it means and so we need to be constructing all of those feedback loops those coachings those hands-on experiences all that we need to be a part of that continuum and there are platforms out there that are allowing for that um, that do it very very well um, it, it's just again they're 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 
they're still clunky on the outside when they don't need to be. Like they work beautifully on their own, but they don't integrate into into the the, the other ecosystem. And I think that that's going to be um, one of the, the the bigger challenges that that we that we have. And I think it's also too L and D doesn't typically think of that um, experience part. We, we put it into the title because it makes us feel good of learning experience design, but we're not really designing the experience. We're still design, designing a resource or a course. And that's not how people radically build deep skills. It just doesn't happen that way. Um, so I think that's, that's, uh, that, that's a key part. Yeah, and I, you know, when you were talking there, you know, we're, when we're thinking about journeys, I think the, the brain naturally creates a linear thing right where it's like here's the first dot and then a line and then the next dot next touch point line in marketing I mean I saw a a Gartner thing um, yeah I'll I'll actually put it in the show notes because it blew my mind when I saw it and it was basically like a a B2B customer journey that had been mapped out by Gartner I think last year or maybe 2020 now Um, and it like just so many touch points and so many different channels (laughs) and you know I think if there's one thing that barring you know the kind of what's in it for me piece that I harp on about a lot in terms of key takeaways from marketing mindset it's it's you've got to relinquish control a little bit too Mm -hmm. you've got to be okay with understanding like yeah I've built this stuff but I don't get to control how people use it where they go and that's why we need data behavioral data in particular so that we can still draw inferences so if they're over here we can still see what they're doing versus over there and it's not we don't need to just have this one single siloed platform because it is it is you're right it's not consistent with how people even consume information these days never mind learn never mind become a master you know our journeys um to acquiring knowledge and then you know introducing that into our day-to-day lives is is not not linear (laughs) in any way shape or form so yeah i think i think that that that's definitely something we need to think more about is how can we look more holistically at the ecosystem and whilst you know technology plays a very big role in enabling that it is still the vehicle and a big part of 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 us kind of evolving the ways that we accomplish our goals in my opinion comes down to shifting the way that we think our attitudes towards learning our attitudes towards ourselves um and and kind of looking at our role and the role we play in the organization much differently so completely agree with you, Ashley. Um, it's it's. I wish I remember who actually wrote it, but I, I saw it on on LinkedIn once. It was that debate: do we call them learners? Do we call them employees? And I mean, that I think is not really something we should be concerned about. But I, what I liked about this person was saying, "We these are your colleagues, no matter what we call them. They're your colleagues. They have just as much experience, if not more, than you have. They have deep knowledge. They have emotions. We're, we're not there to control them. If somehow, when people get into L and D, they seem to think that they are a teacher uh, and that's mm. couldn't be further from the truth so we need to move away from that and 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 be a, an enabler rather than um, a gatekeeper yeah I actually agree and it, it wasn't me that started the debate about calling them humans <laughs> instead of learners at all it, it um, may seem pedantic and you know it is definitely getting hung up on semantics but I still think it's quite pertinent to think about what that word means when we use it in our minds and and then therefore the social contract that we expect from our audiences uh, as a consequence of calling them learners. You know, we call them a learner, that infers that they're already learning. Whereas as you alluded to earlier, guys, usage stats and learning are really low. So we know that actually a huge cohort of our audiences and our employees are not learning. So why are we calling them learners? Because that creates 
a, a, a mindset in L&D, in my opinion, which is they, they want to do this. This is already happening and, you know, here that we're going to serve it up. And how, no, why are they not all queuing up for the new XP, LXP that we bought? I don't understand because they don't they don't know about it. And they, they don't maybe maybe we haven't sold it to them. We haven't sold the value prop to them. We haven't positioned it in a way that you know, meets the business goals, but actually talks to their wants and needs and desires too. So, you know, we, it, it does, it cuts both ways. You know, I think the onus is certainly on L&D, in my opinion, to influence and persuade the learner. But then really it's up to the learner to, to engage with that and proactively pursue, um, you know, improvements in performance and, and generally just committing to actually new knowledge acquisition and application. So, Although just I guess, to qualify that, it's not that they're not mm, learning. They might not be learning on your LXP right? Touche. Touche. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's what we were saying, right? Like that journey is so beyond that. And, and, and it's, it's, it's quite insidious in terms of they're probably on the internet somewhere, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not on your LXP. And that doesn't mean that what they're learning is wrong or incorrect or bad and that they're not then applying it at work. So like I said, we've got to relax a little bit and understand that there are, you know, we have a role to play, but we can't control every single facet of someone's learning at work. Agreed. Agreed. So, final question, something I ask every guest that we have on the podcast is, you know, we talk a lot of negativity around L&D, what we aren't doing, what we are doing, but I often am curious and, I, you know, I see a lot of behaviors that do hold us back um, and things, legacy stuff that shouldn't exist anymore. Do you have anything or does something spring to mind if I say to you, what should we stop doing immediately? Can I just take a pot shot at personality tests? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'm not an IDJ too, or I can't remember. What, what Are you red? Are you yellow? I mean, seriously, come on. This is... <laughs> I was going to say this is so 1980s, but it wasn't even really science then. So I think that should die. I, there's a lot of things that should die. SCORM, we mentioned that before. Um, it, it exists for a reason, and it probably won't go away anytime soon for compliance and some mandatory stuff in highly regulated environments. But can we move past it, at least for the rest of, of learning? Um, those are two that I would like to see go away quickly. Yeah, I, I would agree with with, with all of those. Um, I, I think also, too, the one thing, and I, I touched on it before, but the idea of, of I get very nervous when we are looking at all the data we are collecting about people, and I think we need to be careful with that. Um, and I, I realize that we are talking about data and we want to get excited about it, but I, I do worry, you know, the example I, I often give is I was once asked by a client, could I uh, do a, uh, basically test as to, people who have dependents of children, how many hours of learning do they do versus people who do not? And I was like, whoa, 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 what are we doing with that? And why are we getting into mm-hmm. that? So that, that's, I think that's, those are questions that we that I think we need to start thinking about that we need to, you know, at, at least have a, have a, have a plan for that. Um, because I think we're going to start to, to bump up against some things that are, that are really, really problematic and, uh, and unethical. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, mm-hmm. there's a ton of things I think we need to stop doing like yesterday. Like, I mean, don't even get me started. Avatars would probably be my, my big one. Um, these cartoons. Women with clipboards. Oh, yes. yeah. All, I mean, you could go on and on about these things. That, you know, you know, gamification, leaderboards, all of that. You know, that's those are things like they're just tropes. You know, I mean, um, that, that I think they, that they need to, to die. Okay. One final bonus question. Uh, I did write it down and I forgot to ask it earlier. Um, 
you've talked about SCORM and you always mention compliance because mm -hmm. those two things are very deeply interwoven. Yes. You know, we need to have our completion rates. We need to know exactly who's done what. Very important, especially in some highly regulated mm -hmm. organizations. Now, it's my thought and it's, it is a, a quite a disruptive thought that perhaps it might be beneficial to L&D to almost push compliance somewhere else or put it in a little box and kind of say that's the compliance that's not learning that's compliance that's not learning do you, like do you agree or do you think like I, compliance is causing us problems in some ways i think i would completely I think agree. it's hijacking learning 100 percent. Yeah, yeah and and a lot of the i mean the teams that 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 i've run i've i've have compliance town um where it's, it's off in yeah. the distance um and, and all due respect hey this is necessary stuff like i wouldn't want a pharma sure. company no. or you know a food and beverage company without compliance like you need to make sure people know basic stuff just sure. put that out there but i, I agree but the fact of what a lot of compliance training has morphed into, it's really not making sure that people know the content. It's, it's, it's a, it's a CYA exercise, you know, cover your ass to make sure that, you know, if somebody, <laughs> you know, you know, does something naughty, they, you can go back and say, but they did the training and they, you know, we did our due diligence there. So, so that, that I think is holding us back. And also too, when you look at a lot of the regulatory bodies that, that govern, you know, compliance and will say like, Oh, you know, they want the module lockstep. They must spend X amount of time, all of that, that, holds back so much of what other learning mm -hmm. could be and, and automatically that starts to get applied as, as blanket principles across you know what all learning experiences should be um, so I think there's there's a lot there's a lot there um, but yeah I, I, I exile people to compliance town um, and, and I've done that and to make sure that that's just its own thing I also too I, I mean I see so many clients uh, or so many companies now that are just focused on compliance training deal with them get them to handle that headache mm. and and then you you worry about the the stuff that you really need to do yeah like i, I would love to do a campaign that's almost like mm -hmm. yeah we know it's a bit crap but it's you know it's important yep. but we, we're, we're working on it kind of thing you know because i'm with you amanda like this stuff is important but it's creating because of so little energy or it's low effort a lot of the time you know we'll just get off the shelf off the shelf solutions <laughs> it's creating a, a a bad perception of the learning brand as a whole and honestly and honestly scorm is also hijacking good compliance training let's be honest what Lori was saying yeah. before so yeah it, it's the cover your ass exercise and it, you know are people really learning how to be better are they really learning how to be safer or whatever it is because things are you know lockstep in any learning module Pro probably not i mean no, mm. this is like you know you ask anybody who's not in learning just a normal person in a company like what is your experience with L&D? And, and, you know, it's they're going to tell you. It's that module that I was forced to do on a certain yeah. day of the year, you know, because the law said so, and it was painful. Yeah. And so it, it really, I think, is holding us all back. I would also add too, though, is compliance. It's, it's you know, SCORM does hold it back, but also too bad design holds it back. Some compliance can actually be really effective. I sure. saw some amazing compliance that was done by a nuclear power plant, and for them, you can imagine safety is paramount. But they really brought it to to life, um, and that was that was excellent. Um, so sometimes it's just laziness too. Mm. Yeah, and same same rules apply in marketing, right? Mm -hmm. Use storytelling, trigger emotions, exactly. like you know, try, try and apply some of that into your learning theory too. Well, look, ladies, I've stolen enough of your time. It's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you. It's been a day of acronyms, CYA, D-I-L-D-O. I've learned a lot today. I, I think, um, you know, I just wanted to say thank you so much 
for coming and talking. You know, you guys are, are so, such big powerhouses in the industry and, you know, you know your stuff. So thank you for taking the time to come and share with our listeners. Well, the thanks, thanks for is all us. from us. Uh, thank you, Ashley. We, we love what you do. And uh, and just a little and shout congrats out. congrats on your big award. Exactly. That's yes. I was just going to oh, say congratulations <laughs> again. Much deserved for, for gold. And uh, we, we're always more than happy to, uh, to talk to the Moss crew. Thank you. I think I won't stop smiling until 2023. <laughs> <laughs> See y'all later. Thanks so much. All right. Bye now. Ciao. Bye.